Long-term illness has more than one victim. Naturally, the priority of energy and time must be for the person who is ill. But what about the rest of the family, especially the spouse who walks beside that sick loved one? My name is Sharon Betters, and I am the host of this Help and Hope podcast produced by Marking Ministries. Today, I have the privilege of talking with Jan Dravecki, whose husband, Dave, lost his arm to cancer. As painful as that loss was, Jan and Dave experienced this loss on a world stage because Dave was the pitcher for the San Francisco Giants when he received the diagnosis. Jan and Dave share their journey through books, speaking, and an outreach to hurting people called endurance. Jan, thank you so much for your transparency about your journey and the way you and Dave are using your experiences as a platform for offering help and hope to others. Before we start talking about that journey, tell us a little bit about your life right now. Currently, we just moved to San Francisco, and um, Dave now works for the San Francisco Giants as a community ambassador. And we also have a ministry called Endurance that offers hope, encouragement, and comfort to those who have suffered from cancer, amputation, and or depression, because mm -hmm. depression usually accompanies amputation and cancer. We've had this ministry for 28 years, and we are based out of Colorado Springs, but we are a satellite office here in San Francisco. And so we have two children and four grandchildren. Mm -hmm. um, both of our children are married, and we have two grandsons and two granddaughters. So mm -hmm. we're quite a happy family. It's a wonderful season of life. Sounds like it. You're out in San Francisco where the sun shines a lot which is always nice. That's a bonus. It seems very appropriate for us to be talking right now since baseball season has just started. I have never been that excited about it, uh, but my husband, Chuck, loves baseball. And after years of reading my books while he watched his favorite teams, I have become a fan as well. <laughs> and our, our team is the Phillies right now. But Jan, even non-baseball fans across the world know your story. Which, which is pretty amazing that it happened on such a world platform. But there may be a few who don't. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what happened to Dave's pitching career? Well, my husband was a pitcher for, for five years for the San Diego Padres and for three years for the San Francisco Giants. And in 1988, after pitching in the... Um, in the playoffs against the St. Louis Cardinals, he experienced, he noticed a small lump forming at the base of his deltoid muscle. A year later, that small lump developed into the size of a golf ball. And he went to the doctors and he was diagnosed with a, tumor, a desmoid tumor. And, um, and he was told that he would have to have the tumor removed along with 50% of his deltoid muscle. Um, when he did that, when they would do that, he was told he would never pitch again. Mm -hmm. But nine months later, he found himself on the pitcher's mound in um, Candlestick Park. And he came back and he beat the, um, the Cincinnati Reds in eight innings. And he pitched eight innings. And... Um, he beat them four to three. And we were so excited and we were so amazed at what God had done. But five days later, he was pitching in Montreal and he threw a pitch in the sixth inning and his arm snapped in half, which ended his career. What we didn't know at the time was that 
the um, cancer had returned, and upon breaking his arm, the tumor had entered into his bone. So um, it, would, it resulted in three more surgeries and the eventual amputation of his left arm and shoulder. And he was a left-handed pitcher. Mm, wow. I, I had um, chemotherapy, aggressive chemotherapy, for uh, when I was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was 39 years old. And that was a really difficult time. But I cannot imagine you experiencing this on a, a world stage in such a, uh, the public eye. What was it like for you? Not, not just privately, but publicly. It was a very intense time for many different reasons because we had everyone and their brother that wanted to write his book, the story about his comeback. We were thrust into, you know, all the TV shows and, and all of that. And um, what was difficult after he broke his arm was that, you know, he had given praise to God after his comeback. But then the reporters were asking, where's your God now, Dave Drabecki, now that you've broken your arm and your career is over? And so we would take the next several years exploring that. And I would say at the time he broke his arm, we knew God was up to something and that it was much bigger than baseball could ever provide. But we had no idea that we would go down into the depths of darkness after that time because Dave was re-diagnosed with the cancer and we didn't suffer pretty. You know, the world was glorifying him at the time. And so he felt a need because of his Christian faith to, and I would have to say it was legit. It, he was being real at first, but when your pain goes from days to weeks to months to years, Mm. The darkness that's inside eventually rises to the surface. Mm. And that's what we saw. That's what both of us experienced was that our impurities rose to the surface. For Dave, it was anger. He didn't know how to grieve. So for Dave, it was anger. And for, for me, it was fear, and which resulted in depression. I was a people pleaser beyond. So I did everything I could to keep everyone happy. Of course, that's not possible. Also, too, I did. I wanted to meet every need that was out there. And we had thousands of people writing to us, asking us to help them and encourage them in their own personal struggles. And I wanted to meet all of those needs. Of course, it wasn't possible. So um, I eventually crashed and burned, as did Dave. We both ended up experiencing depression. And when, when one person experiences depression, that's a, an incredible um, burden for a family. But when both husband and wife are experiencing depression, I mean, it's like two wounded soldiers trying to help each other off the battlefield. You know, prior to this happening, you know, when one was down, the other was strong and was able to pick him up. But this mm-hmm. was the first time in our marriage where both of us were down mm-hmm. and we could not help the other. And Dave didn't understand my depression, which made it difficult because of the fact that he he felt like he was the one going through the cancer. He couldn't understand why I was the one that was depressed. Mm-hmm. At the same time, part of the church was the church was telling me that my depression was sin. And um, 
that I shouldn't be depressed and I would pray and that I needed to go and pray and sacrifice myself at the cross. Well, I did all that, but I was still depressed. So it was a great struggle for me. And then the guilt that, and shame that I felt for experiencing the depression only deepened the depression. I, I can imagine, I mean, I'm thinking about myself as a, a pastor's wife in a much smaller world, you know, not, not on the world stage as you, but I struggle with being a people pleaser. Uh, I have all my life. I, I feel as though God has taught me a lot about that and I have more freedom now than I did. It might help that my husband is retired from being a pastor. <laughs> so, so I'm not carrying that extra burden of trying to please everybody the way I always did for so many years. But it is a terrific burden that influences so much and causes so much anguish. And I, I wish that I could um, speak to, especially the younger women who are in the throes of that and feeling as though they are what, doing what they're supposed to be doing. What, what counsel would you give to a woman who oh. is struggling as a people pleaser? Oh, that's my lifelong struggle. Yeah. Is being a people pleaser. I always tease that I could be the poster child for codependence anonymous. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, you know, I don't know that I have any special advice except that I know on my own journey, Dave was unable to cry and express his pain um, in that way. Um, so his pain came out in anger. What helped our relationship was that I knew um, his heart and I knew he did not want to be that way. So what I did was I extended grace to him, loved him for his heart, not for his actions towards me and the children. We eventually, after a year and a half of struggling with the the deep, dark depression, I eventually was able to get help um, because Dave had... um, said I could not, he forbid me to get any kind of help because he felt like going in for counseling was giving into the weakness, was turning in, turning to the world. And so, but finally I started praying and I started to realize what was going on within me and that I was depressed. And I went to, finally, I was able to get help. And Dave, you know, agreed to go for help because I was the one who had the problem. With depression. But as it turned out, the doctor said, you know what, Dave, you're depressed too. So I went on medication and I had many Christians criticize me and warn me that I shouldn't do that. But I went on medication because I was physiologically sick. And I I guess that's one of my pet peeves is why can every other part of the body, you know, stress affects all parts of our body. And some people experience it within, you know, in the stomach or with your heart or, I mean, it, it can affect your autoimmune system. But, um, and we're all accepting of that. But once stress affects the brain, you know, it takes on a totally different, you know, stigma. And it is classified as mental rather than physical. And so um, that was one of my biggest struggles. Mm -hmm. And um, that's the reason why I wrote the book I did, A Joy I'd Never Known, because of the fact that that I felt so alone. And it took a year and a half before Christians came alongside of me 
Christians who had been there, who had been depressed, came alongside of me and said, you need help and you need to get help. And they convinced Dave that I needed help. And so we went to counseling and unbelievably so, three week, we started counseling three weeks before Dave's amputation. And we didn't know his arm was going to be amputated at that point in time, but we see it as God's provision. So the first thing is to know that you're not, if you are struggling with depression, to know that you're not alone. You are not alone and that you do need help and it's okay to get help. And if the doctor prescribes the medication, not to be afraid of going on the medication and also to to seek counsel, wise counsel and to, to help you understand how you got to this place, to help you understand your, yourself. You know, um, I, I was so busy pleasing everybody else that, you know, I lost myself in the midst. And I didn't allow myself to grieve. I didn't allow myself to acknowledge the losses that I was experiencing because I was so busy taking care of everyone else. And I just burned out. We um, interviewed Bill Tell and Sue Tell, which I know are friends of yours. And Bill uh, wrote a book about depression, about his own depression. And it's some of what he said is so similar to what you are saying. And he says when he speaks on his experiences, always somebody comes up afterwards and whispers, uh, I'm on medication. As mm-hmm. though I don't want anybody else to know this, and <laughs> I think I I fully I'm fully on board with what you're saying, Jan. And I think that a lot of people are suffering needlessly, but thinking that they're doing the right thing, thinking that this is a spiritual issue, exactly. um, and when actually their body needs help to reconnect some of those uh, nerves. And I don't understand all that, but I know that it works. I know that it's helpful. Depression is depleted neurotransmitters, mm-hmm. and you, when you experience stress, you deplete your neurotransmitters. When you exper- do the things that you should do, like sunshine, laughter, you know, touch, those increase your neurotransmitters. So um, learning and understanding that, for me, someone who's quite analytical too, it really helped me understand what was going on inside of my body, and it helped take away the shame that I experienced for being depressed. Mm-hmm. I think that's the tough, one of the toughest things was the shame that I experienced mm-hmm. for being depressed because I had always been a strong woman, I thought so, mm-hmm. um, and able to take care of everyone and everything, but you know, that proved to be false. In your book, you describe a time you were going to the White House Mm-hmm. And for a special event, and that's your, I, I don't know if that was when you first thought something is really wrong with me, but can you describe that, a panic attack? I think it could help listeners, maybe someone who's experienced the same thing, but hasn't connected all the dots. We were off to Washington, D.C. Dave was receiving from the president at the time was George H. Bush. He was going to receive the American Cancer I forget what kind of award it was. It was some award from the American Mm. Cancer Society. And so it was a big deal. And we had our children there. And prior to this, both my parents died young of sudden heart attacks. We walk into the JW Marriott and we're meeting with the officials from the White House and the officials from the American Cancer Society. And we were greeting them. And all of a sudden, 
my heart started pounding out of my chest like it had never done before. And I, all of a sudden I couldn't breathe. And, and it seemed like the more frightened I became because of what was happening to me, the more the symptoms increased. And I looked at Dave and I said, oh, I dropped the, the hands of my children and I ran outside. And, and Dave was appalled that I had left them all standing there in the, um, in the lobby of the JW Marriott. And he came after me and he said, what is wrong with you? I can't believe you just left. And I said, please, Dave, I'm dying. There is something wrong with my heart. I think I'm dying. And that was my first experience of many experiences uh, with panic attacks. And I mean, to me, that was the most frightening experience I've ever had where, um, just the tingling, I could, I was hyperventilating. My heart was just racing. After that experience, they started to increase daily until I got help. It's interesting that when I went on the medication and treated the depression, I stopped experiencing the panic attacks. So it was a physiological reaction, what was going on in my body. What were uh, some of the other symptoms of your depression? At first, I started to wake up in the middle of the night and not be able to go back to sleep. And of course, I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, God's waking me up to pray for people. So I would pray for people. And, and while I do believe God wakes us up to pray in the middle of the night, if it happens every night, chances are there's something else wrong. So, um, so that was the first symptom. Then the second symptom for me, and some people experience um, the opposite. All they wanna do is sleep. But for me, it was lack of sleep because it eventually came where I couldn't even fall asleep um, because my body was just racing all the time. The second symptom was my appetite. And this is, can be the opposite with depression too, is that I couldn't eat. The thought of food, I had to force myself to eat. And of course, I lost, I lost so much weight. In fact, I weighed 100 pounds less than I do now. It was ugly. Mm. Um, and everybody thought I was anorexic. And it, it wasn't that I was anorexic wanting to lose weight. It was that I could not eat. And, and then also, too, I'd lost my joy and zest for life. I always was someone that was very excited about the holidays, very excited about life itself and everyone. And I just lost my zeal. I lost my zest. And then, of course, the panic attacks started happening after, shortly after that. So how did your um, depression affect your relationship to the Lord? Well, I turned to God, even though I could not feel God's presence, because I think, you know, it was my experience that the first feeling that went was the presence of God. But I'm so glad that God's presence is not dependent upon my feelings. So I turned to God and I so I couldn't feel him, but I could read his word. And so what I did was I turned to the word and it became my lifeline. And I remember one day um, I couldn't, I became agoraphobic and this was before I got help. And Dave was taking the kids to go swimming and I didn't have the energy or the desire to even go. And they left and I was in the family room alone with God. And I yelled at God and I said, God, I can't believe a year ago today, I felt your presence so strongly. 
And now here I am a year later when I need you the most, I can't feel you or sense you in any way. And I shook my fist at him and I said, you know what? I'm going to turn to the world and find a way to take away this awful feeling, this awful experience that I'm having. And so I went to turn and I started to think about the different things that I would do to replace God in my life. And the first thing I thought about was I'm going to go shopping. (laughs) I'm going to go buy myself a new outfit. In fact, I think I might even go out and buy myself a new car. And, and then, you know, and then I realized, you know what, all of that is empty. It's only temporary. The thrill of having a new outfit is gone once you wear it once. And, you know, a new car eventually rusts. And I thought, you know what, God, I turned back to him and I said, you know, this really stinks. You have me between a rock and a hard place. You know, I want to leave you so bad, but I can't because you're the only one that offers the eternal hope that I so desperately want. Everything else is temporary. And then he led me to 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, that says this, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, oh, they don't seem light momentary at the time. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. So I turned back to God as he brought that scripture to mind. I shook my fist at him, and I said, God, I'm going to trust you. Even though I feel they're not true for me, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to learn all of your promises, and I'm going to trust that you will answer all of your promises. You will be faithful to your promises for me. And that's what I did. And I devoured the scripture. And I asked so many questions. I asked so many questions of God. And I had fellow Christians who said to me, Jan Drabecki, who are you to question God? And But when I went into the scripture, I found that David, King David, a man after God's own heart, asked him a lot of questions. So that, you know, freed me to ask God even more questions. I really became a student of his word. After the death of our son, Mark, I I felt like I was out of my mind with grief and that I was just losing not just my son, but my relationship to the Lord. And a friend, a mutual friend, put me in touch with a woman who had lost three sons. And uh, though we had never met, I knew that she knew me better than anybody, even my closest friends, at least that part of my soul. But and I was skewing out all these questions of, I don't get this. I, you know, I've taught Bible study all these years, but I, I don't believe that he can bring beauty from these ashes and all of it. And she said, um, she said, keep running to the Lord with these questions. He can take it. He welcomes you, pound on his chest. He's not afraid of your questions. He can handle it. And she said, and if you do this, one day you're going to understand his love in a way you never have before. And I stopped, you know, I paused for a minute and then I said, I I don't even know what you're talking about. And, you know, I taught Bible study for 25 years and I, I, that was my response. I, I, I don't even know what that means anymore. And she was so encouraging when she said, I know you don't and that's all right, but believe me, 
it will happen if you keep running to him. And she was so right. I mean, every morning I would get up and I would, I would go to the word and like you, you know, pounding mm -hmm. on his chest, crying out all my feelings and him speaking mm -hmm. through the word. And so if you are listening to our conversation today and you may be thinking it's good for Jan and it's good for Sharon, but it's beyond where I am. I, both of us will tell you, no, the darker it is, the lighter his light is. Definitely. And so don't give up. Don't give up. Keep running to him. Yes. Keep running to him. Jan, I've been reading your blogs at Endurance, and I highly recommend that our listeners stop by and browse and really soak up the hope and the help that's there. You give a lot of encouragement for coming alongside of a depressed person. Can you share a couple things that you would say, say for me, if my daughter is severely depressed, what are some of the ways that I could come alongside of her? Number one is understand that she is physically ill and not to shame, but to validate her pain. Validation is so important. Listening is so important. Learning to listen to someone express their pain is so important without feeling the need to fix it. Encourage them to get the help they need. Encourage them to express their pain because a lot of depression is due to repressed pain, stuffing of pain, stuffing of anger when there's no way to express it. But I have found that with pain, you can put it off. Like with the grief of the loss of my parents, I didn't feel I had the right to, um, to grieve. I had many Christians that came alongside me and said, Jan, you don't need, you, you shouldn't be sad. You don't need to cry because of the fact that you know your mother's in heaven. You know your father's in heaven. And so I felt guilty because I was expressing my pain. And as a result, I stuck that pain for seven years or nine years in one case with my mother. and. I have found that you can stuff pain, you can go around it, you can deny it, but unless you go through it, you're um, not going to have freedom from it. And the end result will be something, whether it's depression or, you know, an ulcer or something, but your body will express that pain that you've repressed. So... So allowing people to express their pain is so important, so important. And for you to be a safe person for that person to express their pain, that's, that is just, I can't say enough about that. Because what was most important to me was when people came alongside of me and, and allowed me and loved me for who I was. They loved me warts and all. And no, I shouldn't have been feeling that way. You know, they didn't should all over me. You know, they, they um, encouraged me and loved me for who I was and didn't make me feel ashamed for who I was. I think sometimes uh, one of the struggles with coming alongside someone who is uh, severely depressed is they have a hard time even speaking. You know, they can be uh, just functionally incapable of yes. responding. And so uh, what would you suggest there? Even if you just have to sit there and just be, cry the tears with them, if that's all that can come out is tears. Mm -hmm. You know, we're told in scripture to weep with those who weep. That is just so important for, you, for us to be able to come alongside and, and weep with someone. You and Dave 
have done that with so many people and recognizing that your circumstances have become a worldwide platform for touching other people's lives and their hearts. And Endurance, your, uh, your ministry has uh, such a great impact. Tell us a little bit about, a uh, little more about Endurance and your hopes and your vision for it. What will someone find when they come to the website? Endurance purpose is to offer um, comfort, encouragement, and hope to those who are suffering. And we come alongside people and validate their pain, allow them, extend them grace in their ugliness, allow them to ask questions, love them right where they're at. It really is a grace ministry to those who are suffering because there is no pretty way to suffer. And so we felt the need to come alongside others as others had come alongside us. So it's like 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5, that we're to comfort others as we were comforted by the Lord. So we have felt that call in our lives. Mm -hmm. So what we did was we started by, we would answer the mail, the correspondence that we had received while Dave was going through the cancer. And that evolved into us writing books because we wanted to let people know they weren't alone in their struggles. But the main resource of our ministry, Endurance, is our encouragement Bible that we did with Johnny Erickson Tata. And it was my heart and my desire to present a Bible for the suffering and in fact, it's entitled, the subtitle is The Answer for Those Who Hurt. Because a lot of people are intimidated by the Bible, so they don't turn to the Bible in their suffering. Mm -hmm. But what I did was I turned to the Word, and it was my lifeline. And I'm Joe Schmo. I'm not a theologian. And so, and God spoke to me through his Word. And I wanted that to be available to others. We wanted to let people know, I mean... A lot of people came up to us during that time and had said, God doesn't intend for you to suffer. Number one, he must be punishing you. You have sin in your life. We had so many different things thrown at us, which only caused me to go into the scripture more and have those, you know, for God to find out what God had to say about it, not what man had to say about it. And it was just the answer for me. So our main resource is our encouragement Bible that we send out. We send out provision packages with encouraging resources, our story, the encouragement Bible, devotionals for the suffering. And, you know, we really customize our encouragement gift boxes to the situation that presents itself. So what is the address? Endurance.org. Uh, Jan, in the last few minutes that we have, can you speak one-on-one -on -one to that one person who is listening, who is hanging on to life by their fingernails? I so understand your pain. I so understand your hopelessness. But I want to tell you that it is not hopeless. There is a hope beyond. And it's not just a pie-in-the-sky kind of wishing hope. It is real. It is God's word. And turn to others, turn to others for wise counsel, turn to your doctors, get the help that you need. There's nothing wrong with seeking help. There's nothing wrong with finding safe people with whom can understand what you're going through. And 
I just pray for you that you will seek the help that you need and that you will turn to others because there is hope because trust me, I was at the bottom. I was at the deep bottom of depression. I could not get out of bed. I could not even walk to the bathroom. That's how weak I became and that's how dark it was. But I can tell you, once I turned to for wise counsel, once I turned to and listened to my doctor's advice, once I turned to safe people who came alongside of me and walked beside me and loved me the way that God loves me, warts and all. Once I did that, I started to climb out of the darkness. Now it didn't happen overnight. I wanted that one instant happy pill, but that didn't take place. It took time. It took time to process my pain. It took time. I remember my counselor said to me, Jan, it took you years to get to this place. It's not gonna take you minutes to get out of it. He said, it's gonna take time. And you're gonna have to process all the pain that you have stuck through the years. And Jan, I just, I just so thankful for that doctor who gave me permission. He gave me time and space to heal. Jan, thank you so much for giving us your heart today. And I know that there are many who are going to be encouraged by your words. My name is Sharon Betters, and you are listening to a Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. Our guest today has been Jan Drevecki, author, speaker, but most importantly, a fellow traveler who has encouraged me in my own life journey. And I know that she's encouraged you. You can learn more about Jan and the ministry that she and her husband, Dave, founded, Endurance, by visiting markinc.org, where we include links to their website and books. And at markinc.org, you will also discover numerous other free resources, just like this conversation. If you have been touched by this conversation and the other resources, would you prayerfully consider helping us continue to make these resources available free of charge? Thank you so much for listening.